недостаток, мелкое яйцо. Наши же местные курунцы. everybody we have a few very special episodes that should be popping into your feeds very soon annihilation almanac was a collection of short horror fantasy and science fiction tales recorded live at pax west 2019 with original stories by ben jelena anna schumann matt karen and myself ash sevilla the panel featured the all-star voices of sissy jones from firewatch and darksiders 3 aaron yvette from oxenfree and the wolf among us sarah elmella from gone home and anthem and chrissy abejos from eliza and the walking dead michonne if you enjoyed annihilation almanac the campfire tales please reach out and let us know you can find us on twitter at nerd appropriate or email us directly nerds at nerdappropriate.com Avignon streets, Nazi-occupied France, 1941. French citizens wander about town under the watchful eye of the German army, who can be seen patrolling the exterior of local businesses, still in operation. Three-story apartment homes and carts filled with fresh produce and freshly baked bread line the old cobblestone streets. Very little fighting seems to have taken place here, if any at all. Large planes fly overhead. We hear the sound of their propellers cut through the quiet city streets. Cut to Interior St. Agricole Church, Avignon, France, 1941. The church is gothic and dank, but untouched on the interior by war. The sun shines through stained glass windows, decorated with a variety of religious imagery. Angels, demons, cherubs, and beams of holy light. We see that the church is empty except an older priest with salt and pepper hair sits several rows from the front, scribbling frantically into a Bible. He's wearing a black suit the traditional vestments of a Catholic priest. His face is kind, but weathered and tired. Kneeling, he removes a large marble tile from the floor of the church, reaches inside, and removes a small brown cedar box, no larger than a child's lunchbox. There is a radio inside. We hear a thunderous bang in the distance as the windows of the old church rattle. Methodically, the priest slowly places his Bible inside the hollow and slides the heavy marble tile back into place. We hear the distinct sound of wounded engine in the distance growing louder, closer. The priest stands and glares through the stained glass window. Cut to Avignon Streets. We see a fiery object growing larger as it approaches the busy Avignon Street. French civilians and German troops pause on the dusty common, using their hands to shield their eyes from the sun. We see the plane coming down fast and hard. Both engines and a section of the tail are engulfed with flame. The entire aircraft is surrounded by a layer of noxious black smoke. People panic, and citizens clamor for cover while German troops struggle to maintain order. The streets become utter chaos. We see a white-hot fireball tumbling through the main street of Avignon, igniting roofs and sending bodies flying in all directions, limp like dolls. A French couple huddled behind a food cart is sucked into the flaming right propeller and thrown piece by piece in opposite directions. A German soldier, on fire... Tears down the street, screaming for help. Chaos. Yes. Chaos. The twisted wreckage of the plane skids into the center of the street. The left propeller breaks free, still spinning, and launches through the air in the direction of the St. Agricole Church. 
a thick red mist covers the streets. Inside the church, the walls and stained glass window erupt in an explosion of thick colored glass and stone. The priest stands at the front of the church, unshaken. He looks to his dead drop, now covered with heavy debris, inaccessible. As he stands near the front of the church, we see a series of large shadows resembling octopus tentacles stretch across the church interior and across the priest's face. We hear an unnatural clicking sound echo throughout the old church. The priest slowly reaches down to his ankle, draws a small pistol, and begins to fire. Exterior streets of London, dusk. We see an old model Indian motorcycle speeding through the war-torn streets of London, weaving between bits of wreckage and obliterated concrete. People in uniform dash in all directions in preparation for nightfall. A military policeman shouts into a megaphone while slowly riding a bicycle through the mayhem. Citizens of London, a curfew is now in effect. All non-military personnel must be in their homes or shelters by nightfall. All military personnel must have their identification ready and available for inspection. All non-military The motorcycle rolls to a guarded checkpoint. Two British military police stand guard. The Indian stops and throttles down to neutral. We see a brown leather cowboy boot hit the pavement. Two military police flank the cycle from both sides. Sir, you're going to have to remove your helmet and present your identity. It's ma'am. The woman removes the helmet from her head. A long quaff of straight black hair falls into her face. Engine oil and grime cover her cheeks, but the look on her face says, I don't really give a shit. She's wearing dark slacks and a British army jacket, covered with a variety of patches and buttons. This is Agent Mary Colby. She reaches into the saddlebags and withdraws her military identification and hands it to the young MP. I'm sorry to slow you up, ma'am. Director Stanton told us you'd be dropping by. Mary kicks up the bike's kickstand and starts to rev the engine. Where do you want me to park this? Uh, any place that you find that's not bloody rubble. Mary nods, kicks the bike into first gear, and accelerates into the facility. Interior Wellwyn Labs, London, night. The office is well-kept and dustless. A large oak desk sits in the center of the room. A woman with gray hair, pulled into a tight bun, sits at the desk smoking a brown wooden pipe. She has striking blue eyes and horn-rimmed glasses, oddly held together at the nose with white medical tape. This is director Estella Stanton. Stanton takes a long drag from her pipe and releases the smoke into the room. <laughs> maps of Europe line the walls. Dozens upon dozens of thumbtacks mark various areas on the maps. Big band music trickles out of an old army issue radio. Stanton stands and examines a map closely, takes a pushpin from her pocket and marks a spot west of Avignon in South France. We hear a light knock on the door. Uh, password? <laughs> is there actually a password? If there is, I should probably know it. Stanton limps over to Mary with a cane in order to give her a big bear hug. Mary returns the affection as the two spend a moment appreciating the embrace. Oh, hug. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you made it through the streets with no issue? Dodging and zipping, you know me. I wish our meeting were more of a personal nature, Mary. Um, Jerry has us running around like a bunch of headless chickens. Stella, what is going on? Is something wrong? Stanton motions to the leather chair opposite of hers at the desk and sits down. 
How long have you been in cracking codes now, Mary? Three years. I was state fi- stateside for the first two, and I've been here for about a year, translating and decoding. Feels like longer. And you understand my reluctance to send you into the field? <sighs> Mary nods, but looks confused as to where the conversation is heading. This is a different sort of war, Mary. Black and white, good versus evil, female agents in this war aren't captured or released, they're tortured and executed, and sometimes much worse. Stella, can you cut to the chase? The two share an uncomfortable silence as Stanton fiddles with her pipe. I promised your father that I wouldn't let anything happen to you, and I plan on keeping my word. Mary stares at Stanton, not flinching. The mere mention of her father rattles her. So? How many years ago did your father go missing? Five years this May. It was three days after my 18th birthday, you know that. Stanton puts her head down into her hands and takes a big stress-relieving breath of air. Jesus, has it been that long? Mary... Mary looks terrified, afraid of what the news may be. She looks away from Stanton, unable to make eye contact, her eyes well with tears, but she doesn't cry. Eighty-seven days ago, we got contact from an agent claiming to be your father. He contacted me personally and privately, and did not use military channels. Was it... was it really him? I believe so, yes. He knew things about you that... and you and I that only your father would know. I truly believe it was him. Mary's fists clench. She stands up and takes a step back toward the door. You've been keeping this from me for months now? You know now. And you will sit down and listen to what I have to tell you. We are not done. Sensing the urgency in Stanton's voice, Mary complies. Tears roll down her cheeks. She sits back down, folds her hands neatly on the table, and looks Stanton in the eyes. Furious. So, where is he now? Stanton looks toward the map of Europe, but does not reply. Stella? Where is my father? We... we don't know. Stanton is silent. Her hands tighten on her old pipe. Is this not an intelligence agency? What do you mean, you don't know? We simply don't know. For the first time since he contacted me, your father has failed to report him. Okay, let me get this straight. My father, who I thought was buried somewhere in Europe or in some Nazi camp, contacts you directly and then goes missing again? Why bother telling me at all? Because, Mary, he wants you to go find him. (sighs) I don't... He claims to have found a code that only you can crack. He doesn't trust anyone in the agency with the information, only you. We need you to go with the team to find him and help him complete his mission. In the field? Southern France. Mary pauses and looks to the map on the wall. She glances over to Stanton, who looks reluctant and somewhat motherly. Brief me. Stanton stands and hobbles to the left wall, where a five-foot map of France sits neatly pinned. From her jacket pocket, she pulls a metallic pointer, which she extends with a flick of her wrist. Mary stands and joins her by the map. We'll debrief you in full prior to the mission, but I'll run you through the basics now. Mary nods and glares at Stanton. She looks distant, uncomfortable. Words struggle to exit her lips. Your father has been rogue for about five years now. For the past two years, however, he's been in deep cover, working with the French resistance. Your father was in France when the Nazis captured Paris and has somehow managed to stay active under a variety of identities. Stanton walks to her desk and picks up a manila file folder. She walks back to Mary and hands her the file. 
Mary opens the file, revealing photos of her father in a variety of different disguises. A Luftwaffe pilot, a a bookkeeper, a well-groomed socialite, and finally, a Catholic priest. It is the first time in five years she has seen a recent photo of her father. Stanton points to the photo and peers down at it through the bottom of her glasses. This is your father's current identity. Father Amboise Paris, a Catholic priest in the world city of Avignon in... I know where Avignon is. Your father has been feeding me information personally for the past 27 days. He is fully convinced that there is a mole in the agency. Artie trusts only you and I with whatever this code is, and I... Stanton knocks on her leg. A hollow wooden thuck is heard through the office. I'm not quite as limber as I used to be. So, what is this code that he can't crack? Did he give you any sort of hint? He says it's information about a Nazi weapon. A super weapon. Heisenberg's bomb? No, no, that thing will never work. Okay, so what is it? We honestly don't have a clue. Arthur was said to check in at 0300 yesterday and never did. <clears throat> Maybe he's just late. Your father is never late, Mary. He's the best that ever existed. My intuition tells me that he had to break cover, or that his radio was lost or damaged. Mary looks to the ground and then to the map on the wall. A red pushpin sits stabbed into Avignon. She looks at Stanton, who has tears in her eyes. So what's the plan? How do we get him out? Not a soul in the agency or the OSS knows your father's identity. Sounds a handful of trusted agents he's worked with in the past. Vetted and handpicked. So we find out where he is, crack his code, and get the hell out of France. I'm sure it'll be more complicated than that, but yes. Find him, crack the code, get out. Mary paces around the room and stares closely at her father's various identities. To be perfectly honest with you, this mission should be low on the danger scale. While Avignon is currently occupied by the Axis, the citizens for the most part are allowed to move around freely. Most of the heavy fighting is far to the east of where you'll be. If you keep your head down, it should be cake. Stanton points to the eastern section of the French map, as well as Russia. We are sending you in with two other agents. One, a friend of your father's, will accompany you into France. And the other, a local French resistance leader, will meet you on the arrival. A friend of my father? Before Mary can finish her sentence, a tall blonde woman walks through the office door. She's wearing a pristine designer white suit with a long tan button-up jacket. A stole made of fox fur is wrapped around her neck. Her hair is curly and practically glows as she enters the door. She appears to be older than Mary, but it's nearly impossible to gauge her age. A Luger pistol rests in a dark leather shoulder holder under her right arm. She has blue eyes and a round face and could easily be a film star if not for the scars covering her hands. This is Agent Evelyn Messner. Ev, I'd like you to meet Mary Colby, Artie's girl. Ev walks past Mary and leans against the edge of the desk. She says nothing but holds her hand out. Mary and Evelyn share an awkward handshake. Clearly sizing each other up. Good to meet you, Mary. <laughs> Mary looks to Stanton, who is fiddling with her pipe again, clearly alarmed by Evelyn's German accent. German? Evelyn stands up and walks toward the French map. She quickly changes her accent from German to British. I can be anyone you bloody well want me to be, little Colby. Mary's fists tighten. She glares at Evelyn, who notices that Mary's buttons have been pushed. Agent Messner and I have been doing this a very long time, Mary. I trust her with your life. And my father? He'd trust her, too. Stanton glances at them both and sits down at her desk. She reaches into the drawer, pulls out two files, and hands them to the women. Now, the two of you take a few moments to get acquainted and brush up on your French. We'll get you geared up and out of here by sundown. We we leave tonight? Evelyn, looking somewhat annoyed, plops back down on the edge of the desk and holds a slim cigarette out for Stanton to light. 
You'll feed the cat? Always do. Mary and Evelyn share an uncomfortable glance and stand side by side. Dismissed. Good luck out there. Fade to black. Cut to exterior. Skies of France. Dawn. Evelyn and Mary plummet from a large V-shaped plane while frantically flailing in all directions in an attempt to gain control of their descent. They are falling fast. We see the oddly shaped plane above them erupt in a ball of fire, sending bits and pieces of flaming fuselage toward the rapidly approaching ground below. Evelyn looks to Mary, who is gaining speed, heading face first toward the ground. We see Mary glare at Evelyn in a panic. She has a large gas gash across her eye. Evelyn, impossibly cool, continues making eye contact, extends her arms, tucks her chin into her chest, and builds velocity. Mary duplicates the maneuver and manages to regain her composure. Soon after regaining control, Evelyn yanks her ripcord and rockets upward like a fish on a line and begins drifting slowly toward the ground. Mary follows suit and pulls her ripcord, slowing her descent and ending her panic. We see bits and pieces of the exploded aircraft zip past both women as they float toward the ground below. Cut to exterior plains of southern France, dawn. Evelyn lands gracefully at an angle and quickly removes a thumb knife from her belt and slices the cords on her parachute. Methodically, she gathers up the silk chute and stashes it in a nearby hedgerow. She looks around in all directions, but Mary is nowhere in sight. Cut to plains of southern France, Mary, same. Mary is coming down fast, too fast. In the distance, we see a dust cloud rolling down an old dirt road. A German cargo truck. Mary hits the ground hard and bounces. She tears a small blade from her belt and begins furiously slicing the ropes of the parachute. Panic. The German cargo trucks roll closer. A gust of wind pulls Mary backward, knocking her off of her feet and jerking her backward in an awkward heap. Shit, shit, shit! Mary pulls herself up and slices the last rope on the chute, which flies away with the wind before she can grab it. The cargo truck rolls closer, 500 meters. Mary spins full circle. There is no cover, literally nowhere to hide. The cargo truck rolls to a stop. Before she can react, three German soldiers exit the cargo truck and sprint toward her with weapons raised. The German sergeant is is broadly built with a fierce look in his eye. A smaller, leaner man flanks him while waving a submachine gun menacingly. A third, impossibly pale soldier, lingers behind while leaning on the hood of the truck for support. He looks unwell. Get down! Get down! The German sergeant fires a series of warning shots into the air. Mary slowly raises her hands and drops to her knees. The smaller soldier approaches quickly and slams her on the shoulder blade with the butt of his rifle. She collapses and goes limp as they drag her into the street. Exterior plains of southern France, Ev, same. Evelyn's hands shake as she slides leather gloves over her scarred hands. She places a small stiletto back into its sheath but keeps the clasp unbuttoned. Here we go. We hear gunshots in the distance. Evelyn bolts through the thick brush and cuts through the tree line toward the gunfire. Spotting the cargo truck, she removes a small telescopic scope from her belt and flicks it open. Cut to Plains of Southern France, Mary. Three German troopers in uniform crowd around Mary. The German sergeant trains his rifle on the back of her head. He motions for the smallest one, we'll call him Tiny, to approach. Who are you, woman? Tiny circles Mary like a shark. He is vibrating with adrenaline. Fear. She is one of those devils from Avignon. Shoot it! Shoot it now! Mary stares forward but starts to squint through blurred eyes. <clears throat> I- I'm a test pilot, a-, a German pilot. The sergeant eyes Mary, not buying it. Tiny swats Mary again in the back of the head with his rifle. This time she drops face first down into the dirt road, stunned. Tiny points down the road. 
We see Evelyn approaching with hands raised. Ease down. I think you're all confused. Tiny, frantic, raises a small submachine gun and points it at Evelyn. Devil! Devil, shoot it! Evelyn strolls closer to the scene with both of her hands raised in the air. Just a little closer. In the blink of an eye, we see Evelyn flick a compact, razor-sharp blade toward the two men. A knife strikes the sergeant in his left eye. He falls. With lightning speed, Evelyn rushes toward Tiny, who is now who is now no more than two meters away. Leaping through the air, she unleashes a flurry of blows into Tiny's face and throat. Ah! Stunned, he stumbles backward and drops to his knees after losing his balance. The other pale soldier simply watches and does nothing. Tiny opens fire. Bullets spray in Evelyn's direction. She dives. Mary draws her thumb knife and plunges it deep into Tiny's back. He flails wildly, firing in all directions. Evelyn springs to her feet, and with a circular kick, she disarms the submachine gun from Tiny's hands. Another kick to the head sends him into the dirt. Thank you. That was, uh... Devils! Devils! Evelyn sprints toward Mary, rolls the small German soldier onto his back, and places her boot onto his chest. Aha! What are you getting on about? Run! Run! We see the sun crest over the hill, illuminating the bloody scene. For a moment, all is quiet until... we hear a terrible, otherworldly clicking sound. The light reaches the pale German, who immediately begins to convulse violently while foaming at the mouth. He reaches his hands into his own mouth in a feeble attempt to pull something out. We see eight massive barbed tentacles burst from his body in a fountain of blood. The tentacles find their footing on the ground and lift the lifeless body up like a marionette. Ev, what the fuck? But blood pours onto the ground and a high-pitched, inhuman clacking can be heard. Crab-like pincers and baseball-sized eyes rip free of their human cocoon. Mary, run! The creature begins shaking the bits and pieces of body off of itself like a dog drying off, opens its claws, and unleashes a guttural shriek. Fade to black. Yay! <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed Annihilation Almanac, the campfire tales, please reach out and let us know. You can find us on Twitter, at nerdappropriate or email us directly nerds at nerdappropriate.com